Hello and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos and in this podcast series I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas can shape our future. In this episode, I meet with Tan Le. Tan Le is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Emotive, a pioneer in the world of brain wearable technologies. She's also a member of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Neurotechnologies and Brain Science. So Tan, how long have neurotechnologies existed? What are some examples that you could give? It's been around for a very long time. In terms of EEG technology specifically, it's, it's existed since the 1930s. EEG? Being electroencephalography. So mm-hmm. that's a process of measuring electrical fluctuations that result from neurons interacting. So that chemical reaction emits an electrical impulse, which we can measure non-invasively. So this has been since the 30s? Yeah, since the 1930s. But it's taken a long time to get into into the consumer segment. And a lot of that is because this sort of technology has been uh, limited to hospitals, research clinics and labs because of the form factor. So it's a hairnet. Some of you might have seen it using conductive gel or paste. And then Mm -hmm. you you have to to wear it for long periods of time. Of course, there are other imaging technologies as well. Um, But many of those are around... Uh, imaging and not really uh, the cusp of being able to use it other than for diagnostic purposes. So when we're talking about neurotechnology, um, you know, I'm thinking more around the segment that allows us to use it to interface with some other device and most of that type of um, sort of brain computer interface type um, technologies have only emerged in more recent years and largely centered around EEG based technologies. So what are these technologies that you mentioned that have come up more recently? What are the frontiers that we are uh, hitting here with, uh, with these uh, kind of... Uh, so, um, uh, in terms of brain-computer interface, there's two ways that um, I've, that we've seen progress. One is in explicit commands, where you are sending a signal out. You, so, you, are, you express that you want something to happen. So, it, it's a very explicit command. Let's say I want to move something forward. And there's a set of machine learning algorithms that recognize the patterns associated with that command of... I want to move an object forward, and then it translates that action into that actual Mm. movement. Wow, that's impressive. And how how does that work? Uh, So the way that works is uh, you have some sort of measuring device or equipment on uh, the head. Um, Usually it's EEG-based or electrical currents. Um, And uh, obviously there are probes that you can stick into the brain that does a much better job. But we're talking uh, only on non-invasive technologies at this this point. Um, It senses the changes in electrical voltages and then the voltage fluctuations. And then the machine learning algorithm identifies that pattern associated with the command and then every time you think that same command, that triggers the, uh, the, action. the action. Where does it stand right now? Is it something that we could say is both scientifically and technologically proof and scalable? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's already possible. We've already seen people driving cars, um, obviously with uh, limited controls. Mm-hmm. This is still mm-hmm. rare, very, very rudimentary. But you can turn left, you can turn right, you can drive forward, you can stop. So in terms of that limited set of commands, it's definitely possible. I think the, the other opportunity is around passive control, which most people don't realize. Um, 
which is centered around being able to recognize emotional states. Mm -hmm. um, emotions drive a lot of our decision making, whether we realize it or not. And so this is a big part of human to human communication, but it's missing in the way that we interact with machines. And Interfacing with neurotechnology is one way in which we can tap into an understanding of our cog cognitive and emotional states and responses, which then can drive the environment around us. So imagine if you're feeling, um, if you really like something, it recognizes that you like something and it can enhance that experience even more. If you don't like something, it never shows you that again. Right? So if, if it's able to passively respond, so you're not actually saying, I don't want to see that again, but it knows that you don't like that, so you don't prefer that. It's able to diminish um, the, the times that you're going to be exposed to that set of scenarios. So it can it allows AI to custom customize and individualize experiences for the person rather than looking at an aggregated picture, which is what we've done traditionally. That's very interesting. I would touch upon it a bit later in terms of when we talk about the risks, but it seems to me a, a good question to ask right now. Will that mean then that at one point the, the machine learning or the artificial intelligence system behind all of this will be directing at one point what we do see and what we don't see and what we... Uh, is that is that a danger that um, keeps so, you up at night sometimes? Uh, I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity both in the customization and optimizing that experience for us. But one thing that we need to understand is that the brain is an advanced learning machine. It thrives on novelty, new things. It thrives on diversity and it thrives on challenge. And so when, when we have the opportunity to use um, the brain as an and as an interface device, as a way to, to drive commands, it's also a great way to learn about our brain at the same time because it can be used as a measurement device. So we know when the brain has not been exposed to new things, when we know when it's, it's already been desensitized to this, and it, we can encourage us to explore new territory. And I think that's a, that's, a, that's a very exciting frontier as well, to be able to not only customize experiences to you, but to realize when you need to be exposed to new and divergent thinking as well. Um, and so it can be used for both good and bad. There are, there are always technological risks. Um, and as technology pioneers um, advancing a new industry, we always have to be very cognizant um, of you know, opportunities to safeguard this, this new industry. But I think that there are tremendous opportunities for good. Um, and you know, one of the things we, we need to recognize is that the brain as a biological system isn't um, designed to last 100 years. And and as medical science continues to advance and as we continue to extend human life, we need to really look at the brain as a, as a, as a very important asset that we need to safeguard and protect. And the benefit of neuroplasticity is that, yes, we have the opportunity to make better choices around what we do with our brain in the same way that we've made choices around our physical health in prolonging our, our physical um, endurance and, and expect life uh, and fitness, we can do the same for our cognitive fitness and well-being as well by making better decisions around what we do every day, how we can improve our, our cognitive and mental agility because we can actually see what activities are doing to our brain. We, we actually can then understand by tracking and monitoring and measuring um, and using it as a tool. Right? So we have a much more direct interface into this this machinery we all have in our mind, <laughs> in our heads, um, that seems to be an enigma, but more and more we're starting to um, at least 
unpeel some of that. So taking into account all the technological developments, also the trend of development in this area, in the next 10 to 15 years, do you feel like this type of machines will be widespread in the society? I think um, absolutely. One of the mm. things that is really exciting um, with the fourth industrial revolution is that we are seeing this happen right now. This transformation is happening right now. Um, there is a merger of the digital and the physical realms. Right? The, with VR and AR, the, there's going to be this mixed reality where the, the world, the physical world and the digital world will seem completely seamless at one at, at a very very near point in the future um, and what that that exciting frontier also um, is it seems to be introducing is an, a computing platform that lands squarely around your head which means that there is an opportunity to have sensors placed much closer to the source of where all of our computation happens our brain right which is the most advanced and most complex and most sophisticated um, system in the known universe. And so I'm, I'm extremely excited about the possibilities of the future. I think it's it's neurotechnology in the past seems to be um, science fiction, but with the fourth industrial revolution, it feels like we're just on the cusp of it because of this convergence of so many technologies that has come together and um, is is kind of locating itself around um, this this center, this hub, right? So I think it's a, it's a very exciting frontier. Do you feel that we will, at one point, I mean, except for if autonomous vehicles go first, but we would drive around just thinking about where we want to go? I don't think that's uh, going to happen. I think autonomous vehicles are far safer. Um, option, um, but I think that the opportunities around seamless interaction with our environment, that our world is becoming far more complex in terms of the amount of digital media that we're experiencing, the amount of content we're experiencing, we're not going to be able to physically, explicitly tell machines and Internet of Things that we want this, we want that. To be mm -hmm. able to set our preferences to that level is just not seamless enough, right? Mm -hmm. If the machines and our environment can sense that right now, I'm feeling tired, I need to be un, you know, wound down and this type of music is going to help get me into a certain state to help me re replenish myself. That's really effective. It's much better at dynamically changing and we have the opportunity for all of that because if we have sensors that understands our biology, our system, our needs, our preferences, then it's much, able to, much better able to real-time dynamically change and customize and individually tailor experiences for us. Um, is it a, sounds like a very interesting tool for health, for education. Is this where we can see applications of it already within the next decade, or is this a bit... Absolutely. I think um, applications around health and wellness um, is, is imminent. Uh, there are already uh, clear examples. We saw that with the, the early wearables trend around fitness tracking. Some of that tracking was around, a lot of it was around physical uh, movement. Uh, and physical health, well-being, but I think we're going to start to see more of that sort of cognitive tracking, that the kind of things, the work that we're doing in labs, looking at you know cognitive load, looking at productivity, looking at um, multitasking and distraction and fatigue. Or many of those types of research is going to move into the consumer uh, realm as well. Um, and so, yes, absolutely in the health and in education, most of these. Uh, 
um, types of detections that are high and algorithms are highly relevant to to optimizing education. You know, being able to understand how an individual learns because learning is the modalities are so individualized, and we have the opportunity, especially with online learning, to dynamically tailor content to suit the individual. Um, we also learn finding that interactive learning is is much more um, be much better at re retention as well. As, mm -hmm. uh, so being able to introduce technology in that foray and then being able to dynamically adjust what we're learning uh, so that it suits our pace of learning, it suits our, our preferred modes of learning. I think it's there's just a, a whole new area. You know, imagine a connected classroom where we know the you know the teacher knows which student is fatigued, or not engaged, which student you know is really really engaged right now. You have the opportunity to hone in on uh, on children that actually need more attention, um, and so I think there's there's a lot of modalities there too. For so the teacher will be able to know if I was thinking about something else. That sounds uh, yeah, that that could That's be a very <laughs> different environment, huh? Yeah, the kind of classrooms that I that we used to have, where you could sit in the back and just fall asleep, that will be long gone. The teacher will be like, oh, all these students were, you know, repeat the class again. <laughs> I feel sorry for the new students. <laughs> yeah. So this technology that has uh, applications, possible applications, on a, on a wide range of topics, industries. Uh, how is the regulatory framework looking like? Uh, is it something that is stifling progress? Is it something that is completely uh, allowing anyone and anything to, to take place? Uh, I think in the area of neurotechnology, um, insofar as it applies to improvement and enhancement, it's, a, it's still a very, very open space for innovation um, and for creativity to thrive. Um, you know, most companies, including Emotive, has um, the latitude to explore new ways of, of introducing technology through apps and through devices uh, without a lot of, uh, aside from, you know, the, the general FCC, ULCE marks, which are customary for um, consumer electronics products, we're not in the purview of the diagnostic and um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. therapeutics market. And so at this point, once you move across to diagnostics and therapeutics, then then that's a much more heavily regulated environment. But in the, insofar as it involves a new form of interface um, and you know general cognitive improvement and enhancement, you're still it's it's still relatively unregulated at this point in time. Is this a danger uh, in case the if we can call it the industry of neurotechnology uh, become gets a hype, is there a danger that many non-qualified products will storm the market? I think um, that insofar as non-invasive measurements are concerned, it's less concerning because we're not sending any inputs back into the brain. But there are new devices now that are looking at um, sending direct current stimulation into the brain. And in, in those cases, these are still considered... Uh, this is not regulated, and and in those cases, it's a little bit more uh, difficult to see that the lines get a bit more murky um, mm -hmm. in in those areas. Even in the in in insofar as non-invasive technologies is concerned, once we move into the, like, the neurofeedback area, that I think is also a great area for technologies like like ours, where if there is some sort of therapeutic. Um, applications, I think that becomes also, I would consider that a grey area as well. So absolutely there are 
there are opportunities for bad actors um, mm -hmm. and and products that are not ready for prime time or that haven't been through a rigorous scientific validation. Um, and this is a risk in in this industry because there's just so much noise, and that's one of the challenges of the the information. Um, that that is out there, you know. How do we make sure that it's credible? That there is scientific validation? That there is rigor in the process? I I believe uh, you as a neurotechnologist, you you see the the good applications of it. What would you you have been in the council? You work with a lot of neuroscientists and brain scientists. Yes. Are they a bit more skeptical of these technologies? Are they very supportive of it? Do they see I value in it? I think that we're all very excited about neurotechnology as a frontier mm -hmm. um, for many reasons, you know, for rehabilitation, for extending independence for people with limited mobility, for understanding um, ourselves better. There, there is just a, a massive frontier that we don't know. Um, you know, we, we're doing lots of exploration. You know, humans are, are all about looking at, uh, are about exploration, right? About understanding, seeking better knowledge. Um, and this is something that's in every single one of us, and yet we know so little about it still. And so the council, for the most part, we're very, very excited about the possibilities and the the opportunities in neurotechnology. Of course, we are we are careful um, in making sure that the that there's ongoing dialogue and discussion about the concerns, but. On the whole, I would say we're, we're extremely excited because I think as long as there is informed consent and there is a clear, transparent communication about the risks and the, the rewards and the potential opportunities and challenges, I think it's a very fruitful endeavor. That sounds indeed like a very fruitful endeavor. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That was Tanle, co-founder and chief executive officer of Emotive, my name is Rigas Hadzilakos and that was all from this episode of A Glimpse into the Future.